um, and I've seen it in my own life where it's like, even in the darkest moments where, when I was about to go bankrupt and everything and I was really depressed, I just put my head down and freaking worked my butt off. <laughs> and a year later, while I'm still, while things might not still be back to where they, I would like them to be, like there's stability again and there's happiness again and there's all these things again. And it's because I'm like, okay, I made a mistake. Now I'm going to fix it. I didn't blame anyone else. And I used to do that a lot, like everyone does, but every incredible person I met in my life takes responsibility for themselves. So that's why I'm like, well, I should give that a shot. You're listening to The Alex Spicer Show, where we like to focus on God, family, freedom, and religion, and discuss the true principles that ensure our happiness and our success in light of current and historical events. Thank you for listening to the Alex Spicer show. I have here with me uh, another family member because apparently I just can't get enough of my family. Uh, this is actually <laughs> my brother Matt. Um, he's my 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 step brother. Um, so for those of you who think we look related, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you want to explain why that's so funny, Matt? <laughs> so I I don't know. I was like 13 when we met, maybe when you guys when 12, our yeah, parents 12 got 13. married, 12 or 13, and then we we started living. We didn't really live together that much until high school. So all of high school, we lived together all the time. And then since then, I've been close. But it's funny because it's like, oh, this is my brother. And people are like, oh, yeah, you guys look just like each other. It's like, <laughs> well, we shouldn't because we share no blood <laughs> but all the time. It happens beyond yeah. that. Like, even in college, you're like, oh, this yeah. is my brother, Matt. Oh, this it looks like you. Yeah, like, Maybe it's just, it's probably similar mannerisms or personality or it's probably the cross eyes or the, well, it could be the buck teeth in the cross <laughs> eyes too the, the stench oh, it's a <laughs> oh, yes, look smell oh. <laughs> the uh you guys is a uh, body odor who <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh, no it's 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 actually pretty funny though um but i in i i have to say you know right off the bat so the impetus for me to bring on robert you know rob for the last one is robert had the worst <laughs> the worst uh opinion of rudy ever he just i don't understand his thinking <laughs> i still don't if you listen to the episode i'm yeah. like <laughs> I, i'm thinking i go all right <laughs> I, I like in the back of my mind i think any sane person listening to this is going to hear <laughs> clearly alex has like a, a much more logical uh coherent um perspective on this and robert's short-sighted but i get a text from rob the saying that one of his friends agreed with him on it. And I said, well, yeah, well, it's cause they're your friends. Birds of a feather. <laughs> That's can, right. Everyone can find someone for them. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're nuts. You are crazy. <laughs> yeah. You're crazy. Um, but really I want to get, give my audience a little bit of background on you. So where did you grow up and what did your father do for a living? <laughs> um, so I grew up in middle of nowhere in Wyoming. So I Which grew is up, all of Wyoming. Yes. Wyoming. Middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. So it was a small town of just a couple hundred people for most of my childhood. And then in high school, we moved to a big town, which had 6,000 people. Dude, that, that's big. And that was big yeah. for Wyoming. <laughs> um, so I, I, always, I grew up in the country. We had basically a mini farm. So a really big garden. We would harvest a lot of our own food. Um, and uh, we're a big family. I want to interject here. You actually went from teeniest of teeny to not much larger than that. Matitsi to Burlington. I wasn't born yet in Matitsi, but Oh, I thought you had spent some time in Matitsi. Okay. Uh, Okay. No, but so I I was born there. Um, so small town. So my dad just worked, it was a lot of blue collar work. So he grew up there. There's a lot of natural gas fields there. 
So he would go run these compressor stations and do that. And then eventually started doing construction with mines. So when I was in high school, he started to travel to Canada and Bolivia and places like that where he would just supervise construction. So he was always, every time he wasn't working, we'd be at home working on different projects and things. So lots of, lots of physical work growing up in Wyoming. Definitely. He, he also did trapping, right? He did, but he also stopped by the time I was probably in kindergarten. Oh, so okay. I, I remember seeing all the furs. I don't remember him coming home with them anymore. But a lot of fishing. We did a lot of fishing. We did hunting every year. We'd harvest our own meat and butcher it ourselves and pack it up. Um, so a lot of that. And I would work a lot with farmers because we'd be neighbors to them. But he never, he wasn't a farmer himself. It was just, we had like an acre, literally like an acre large garden most of my childhood. And then we'd can it. So just to give an example of scale, we had 300 tomato plants, just tomato plants. So we would, we would weed it all summer and then we'd sell them at farmer's markets and we'd can a lot of it and eat that all year. Um, so it was like a mini farm we would live on, but he technically wasn't a farmer. He had a day job where he'd go do other construction things. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think this is actually pretty interesting. I, I want people to hear about this. How did you, uh, your chores, sometimes you were compensated for them, I, I guess like, like, or were you, or, or to what extent? Cause I, I remember there's the story of asking oh. for five cents. <laughs> so we, you, you had to earn everything. And at the time I hated it, but I'm glad now actually it's coming. It's made, it's helped my life a lot. It's been invaluable. But when I was a kid, chores just had to be done for free. And then if you wanted to earn money, there were additional jobs you could do to earn money. And once I was at a basketball game with them and I wanted to get a little snack from the concession stands. And so I'm walking up to the stands and I pull out my money and 95 cents, I'm five cents short. So I'm like, oh, oh shoot. So I go ask my dad. So I'm like, dad, can I have a nickel? And literally he says to me, no, you didn't earn it yet. Like, oh no. So I didn't get my candy, but I learned at that point, it's like, I have to have stores of money and I have to work for everything. Um, and that, I was like six or something. And that was like burned into my brain. And I hated it. I was so mad. But in hindsight, I've seen, I've seen so many people that are so entitled with money that they stay poor their whole life because they haven't had to work for it. And they don't realize that's how economics actually works. You have to earn something. You can't get something for nothing. So I'm, I'm glad he did it now, even though I hated it <laughs> at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's funny. Cause I think about that and I go, yeah, man, there's a balance there, right? As a father, I go, yeah. There's a balance between ruining their childhood and also teaching them a lesson. Like, like, when do I teach them the lesson and then when do I squash? Yeah, like maybe if it was me, maybe I'd be like, you can earn this right when we get home since you have 95% of it. But I'm pretty similar with my nieces. If they don't have money, they can't buy something. Sure. If they forgot to bring the money, that's fine. I'll spot them. But almost never will we let them earn it after the fact because that look, look at the credit card debt of the average American or the loan debt or yeah. all these things. It's like... We're so used to consuming now and then working later and we never work later and then we stay poor and broke and we get in the economic mess we're in. So it's, it's, I think it was actually a valuable principle because that's how reality actually works. So oh, yeah. I don't think it really has to ruin them if you're nice about it, but well, it's like, it's, exactly it's just like how it can be done, right? Yeah. No, you didn't. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> sorry, it's like, I haven't earned it. Yeah. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's, I'll give you jobs when we get home. Tactics definitely mean a lot. Yeah. So I'm curious, um. When growing up there, because obviously the audience is going, well, you guys like grew up together a bit. Yes, but 
prior mm. to us becoming related yeah, pre-middle school i i lived all over the u.s and mm-hmm. yeah actually even after we became uh, i i spent some time back in true Ohio. basically um, pre-high school we didn't live much exactly it, yeah it really was just high school mm-hmm. um but growing up like that what what did you envision for your future did you because normally when you see what your dad does you kind of get an idea as to what what everyday life as an adult is going to be, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, for example, for me, seeing my dad being a chiropractor, I never envisioned myself as a chiropractor, but I envisioned myself having to work within an urban area because he did. Yeah. He'd have an office in an urban area, live outside the country. So it's always like, there's always this this balance of, we, we live in the country, there's a city area to live mm-hmm. in, but we're but that's the sort of job I would be. But you sure. have a father who's primarily in the oil fields the whole yeah. time so, so i guess like like what what did you always envision your prospects being i don't know how deep i thought into it in elementary school um it wasn't really till later in high school that i started to expand my horizons but pretty much i think it was just gonna be blue collar for a while i actually thought like i didn't know entrepreneurship was an option i didn't know you could own your own business um but for a while i actually thought i was gonna be an artist because i was really good at art and I didn't know anyone well, that made art still, professionally. Still really dang good at art. <laughs> Don't practice. Um, but that, even that was probably a pipe dream. It's like people, you should be it. But I, it was just going to be probably something blue collar. It wasn't until high school that I started thinking, I'm like, oh, maybe I could go be an architect. I could do something like that. Sure. And even that, I still thought I was going to be working for someone. It never crossed my mind. That's like, oh, I can work for myself. And there's all these ways you can build wealth and do all these things rather than just getting stuck in one little career. Um, you, you really thought that you would be an artist for a while. Yeah. A lot of elementary school. Really? I, mm-hmm. I, just knowing you, I just can't imagine you. Ever, well, I wasn't pragmatic that. yet. Yeah, that's true. So I was just like, <laughs> oh, I'm good at art. I didn't realize that 99% of artists are super broke and make no money. And they're still really good <laughs> and, at it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's like skill has very little to do with being successful at art and <laughs> yeah. business finan- financially. Yes. Like, and that's true for most arts, like your best singers or very rarely your best singing singers, your best artists, are very rarely the most talented. It's There's a whole other world there. Well, even the best artists I know are mm. all dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think of like the painters, I'm like, dang, like, like their yeah, stuff I couldn't is name worth you. millions for painting. They never reap I don't know benefit. if I can name one living artist, which is funny because even me growing up in art circles, I can't name any. Like now, sure, sure, some exist, and I'm probably offending sure. some by having this on my podcast. Like, Son of a, they're just I, anomalous. Really... Like, it's one in a million, or what, like, it's to very really rare. have a, a, a financially successful finance. There's more than one way to be successful, but from a financial standpoint, to make it's that very your, hard. Your main or even your pure your main point source of, of income. income. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you want to be more than a pauper your whole life, it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the competition is really high, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the way you try to get yourself known is basically you're always taking advantage of that. Mm-hmm. that that's the yeah, that's the way of the <laughs> of the artist of, of any field. Definitely. Um, so then I, I'm curious. Uh, you, you know, you you come away from high school, you go on a mission uh, for your church, spend two years in a, in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. How did how did that how did that shape the way you viewed let's just say, uh, culture. Oh my gosh. Huge. So I was, I think one of the biggest problems with Americans is they never leave America. Um, <laughs> and when they do, they go live in like a little five-star resort for a couple days. Sure. And it's, we don't know how 
good we have it. We have it so good. So I lived, I lived down in Paraguay for two years. And so it's one of the poorest countries in South America. So I saw what actual poverty was like. You hear politicians ranting about like poverty and this and that. We have no idea what poverty is like in America. Yeah. Like you're poorest <laughs> of your poor. You pull up the stats. The poorest, the average poorest person in America, they have air conditioning. They have multiple TVs. They have refrigerators. They have running water. They have all of these luxuries where the majority of the world doesn't have those things. And we call them poor in America, which is stupid. They're wealthier than most of the world. Down in Paraguay, you're literally your dirt floors. You don't have glass in your windows. No one has air conditioning. You most, a lot of people are drawn water from wells by hand. They're going to the bathroom. How do they build their houses? Yeah. A lot of, well, a lot of them, if you're middle-class or upper middle-class, you have some cheap bricks. Basically a lot of people they're they look like our chicken coops worse than our chicken coops. They're tarps and sticks. There's these areas called assentimientos where because of that culture, um, people will squat hoping to get a free house donated from America or from Taiwan and they'll squat there for 10, 15 years and they won't develop it because they won't qualify for the free house. So there's people that could have risen up from poverty and had, and I saw a lot of people that did this where they actually worked and especially implementing gospel values in their life. So, so they worked and became responsible for themselves and they very quickly rose out of poverty, but the average Paraguayan didn't do that. It was very much a culture of not working and it, it was, a, it's been a beaten down country for years and it's had dictators off and on. But it doesn't now, but there's still a culture of nothing's my fault and I'm not going to work for anything. I deserve handouts and they stay poor because of it. So so a culture that depends upon someone else to be responsible mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. And they and that's why they're poor and miserable. Like, and that made me realize I'm like, oh my gosh, we, we have such an amazing culture in America. For sure. Found, okay. The American ideal does not necessarily the average American. I think we're very entitled now as Americans but the founding principles of the country where it's everyone's equal and you rise or fall on your own merits, you work for it and you sacrifice for it. That is the ultimate culture. Yeah. And it will make you far more happy, far more successful in every sense of that word, financially and physically in every way. And they don't have that in, in Paraguay. And it's sad to see, but I did meet individuals that adopted it and they quickly became upper middle class in their society in short periods of time. That, that's like that quote from Ezra Taft Benson when he says that um, the world would take the man out of, would, would, you know, take the man out of his environment of poverty. Yeah. Uh, but the Lord would take the poverty out of the man who would yeah. then take himself out of poverty. And right? I've, I've seen it work again and again. I used to think, I used to always hear that it's like, um, so you talk about wealthy people and pride and things like that. Sure. Often the poorest people I meet are the most prideful. I've realized in my life, just as I've rubbed shoulders with a, a, a lot of millionaires and a lot of people that are successful in their careers, they're almost always the most giving people I've known. Almost always. The I've met, a. it's almost always people that are puffing or wanting you to think they're better off than they are that are the arrogant ones and the ones with flashy cars and flashy things. Most of the true millionaires I've met, and I've met hundreds now, they'll give you anything for nothing. They don't want anything from you. They'll give you advice for free. They'll, they'll sit down with you for free. They just want to help. And it's no wonder they developed that wealth because they're not prideful. They're not puffed up. They're not driving around fancy sports cars most of the time. That's usually someone with a high salary and the second they lose it, they're broke. They're not actually millionaires. Um, and it's just interesting to see that I saw that down in Paraguay. It's like these poor people are staying poor because of their pride. It's not It's not wealthy people that are only prideful people. And I thought you could have poor people living gospel principles like the principles that Jesus Christ taught. You can't. I never saw. I never saw someone that was fully implementing gospel teachings, biblical teachings in their life, stay poor. 
it was fascinating. We would help people. We teach them about Jesus Christ and how to apply these principles in their life. Can, and can, I would. Can you talk about some of those principles? I'm, I'm actually very curious. Like, what principles did you see they specifically applied, or perhaps others uh, did not apply that they lacked that created yeah. the, that significant difference? So, so sense of responsibility is one of them. So Jesus Christ teaches it's like you're you're responsible for your own fate, um, no one else. So ex- admit that you've done something wrong, repent of it, change it, and stop doing it. And that, that's true repentance, right? It it's is the, the fact that you, process. you you changed the behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now a lot of people don't do that because they don't want to admit they did anything wrong. Yeah. So it's like the world the world's out to get me. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And it was fascinating to watch these people do these things that religious things it's like they start going to church on sunday they start paying tithing they start praying and these things that are like oh that's just a vestige of religious sentiment but i would watch them within a few month period all of a sudden they'd have a motorcycle and a house and a car and like and a good paying job and all of these things so it's like a lot of people it's like well god's just a myth it's like maybe but this myth is making people successful so <laughs> if, even if it is a myth like why would you stop yeah <laughs> so all these point. all these atheists are staying poor down there and the people that are embracing god are becoming rapidly far successful rapidly quicker than their peers and it was just fascinating to see that as a missionary because time and time again the the only poor members i met were members that weren't implementing it they weren't going to church every sunday they weren't applying the gospel in every part of their lives and they would make excuses and they would want handouts and I never met a single member that act that kept all the commandments as taught by the Bible and in the Book of Mormon in the LDS culture. I never met one that stayed poor. It was fascinating. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to explain more clearly. Going back to you talked about a plot of land, mm-hmm. and people would squat on it. Yeah. So Do, the, so, yeah. so so how did they come by the land, and and what what were they waiting for? So the government would basically allow it. So you'd have these asentimientos where it'd just be just be undeveloped land. So out, it's usually on the outskirts of cities. Okay. And it would turn into neighborhoods of cities. So it's you like you hear about favelas in in Brazil. Sure. Similar concept. So people would just go there and they'd pitch a tent. Like you're not buying it. You're not anything. You're just kind of claiming it. Like in some ways, kind of like America did early on. It's like, hey, here's this land. Go and develop it, and sure. you can own it after a while. Like that, but it was inverted. It was. If you develop it, you don't get the free house. So America and Taiwan will, what, what will do donate s- cookie-cutter houses. Okay, so, so the government would, would, would donate to them supplies to build a house? So America it? does. America and Taiwan and these countries will allocate that to the Paraguayan government. What? We think we're doing humanitarian aid. So it sounds good to us. So it's like, oh, let's send houses to Paraguay. They're homeless. And it sounds good to us, but what we don't realize is it's incentivizing these people to sit. For It'll take them 10 to 15 years to get the house. So they'll just squat on land and not develop it, live in little shanties and huts. And to eventually get a free house. Whereas in a couple of years, they could have built their own house and developed the land and been far more successful. But our charity is hurting them. And I saw that firsthand. I always heard about this happening in Africa with wells and all the detriment our charity causes over in Africa. But this one I personally saw. Interesting. Like our, our charity is actually making them worse off as a country. Wow. It, this, that, this concept of them waiting... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're they're owed it. They see their neighbors getting it, so they they feel entitled to it. It's their right now. It's just incredible that that um, I see that in my I've seen that in my own life at times where I hesitate because I'm so certain of, of certain blessings maybe worth or or, mm-hmm. or when I say blessings or, or I should say um, certain advantages or potential opportunities opening up mm-hmm. by waiting, <laughs> and I can't I, I can't even count on my hand the minute, how many times 
uh, those opportunities came to fruition because they didn't. That's how it works. I waited and they didn't. And Mm -hmm. I realized I wasted time waiting when I could have just moved on with my life, been happier because I was progressing and taking Mm -hmm. care of my family better. Yeah. It was like, wait for nothing. Like like, like your actual responsibility is yourself. And if if you're married, your spouse and stuff mm -hmm. and do everything you can to, you know, to be proactive about it rather than, For, for any, and I guess it's for any situation. You'll never get any. So like Abraham Lincoln, I believe it was him that said, it's like, praise if everything depend, depends on God, but exactly. act as if everything depends on you. Yeah. I think that's how God's work. God isn't your butler. He's not the tooth fairy. He's not Santa. And people try to treat it that way. And then they wonder why they never got blessed with anything. It's like, no, you're capable and you can go out to him who hath shall be given more. Like that, that is biblical. Like people that work will get blessed more than people that don't. Sure. And that's how the system's built. Like, it's it's designed for you to have to work for it and to earn it. And I've never met someone that just... Yes, there are people that get lucky once in a while on lightning strikes. That's not a strategy and that's not a plan. If you get lucky, great. But the other 999,000 people out of a million, we got to work for it. Yeah. That's 100%. I mean, what is that... In that verse, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, really, the, the, there is there is effort to be made there. I um, mo- moving forward though with with your life, you you go to college, and you are trying to become a mechanical engineer. Yeah. So I decided. So at first, I was planning to go to school for architecture, and then I lived in Paraguay for a couple years, and you, and I felt like I mean, like you know what, I actually want to go to BYU. Um, so I decided to go to BYU and they didn't have an architecture program. So something else that seemed interesting was mechanical engineering. I thought, I'm like, oh, is that at the time I thought that's what Tony Stark was. Like, I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Cause I can invent stuff. Um, so <laughs> I didn't know that <laughs> um, he's not, I think he's like a different type of engineer, but yeah. Um, at the time I'm like, cool, I can be an inventor. So I, so I come to BYU and I get in and I start doing all the prerequisite classes. Cause you don't just get start the program. You have to do all the prerequisite classes and apply in cause there's only limited space. Sure. So I started doing mechanical engineering and a couple semesters in, I realized I'm like, Oh, Oh no. Like <laughs> I started talking to actual mechanical engineers yeah. and it sounded like the boringest job on earth. Like, you say, me, you say a couple me. semesters in, but really you almost had the entire degree under your belt. Oh no. Just the prereqs. Or, okay, almost all the prereqs. All prereqs. Okay. So but that's I still had, like 40 it was a hours. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was <laughs> 70 hours. maybe. Something like that. It was a couple semesters worth of schooling under my belt. Almost done with the prereqs. And then I started talking to mechanical engineers and they're like, oh, I designed this bolt. I'm like, oh, cool. And then what? He's like, I've been doing this for five years, this bolt, these bolts. I'm like, oh, crap. So that's when I literally, I remember sitting down and I pull up the degree list, the Rolodex, and I just scrolled through everything. No, 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 no. Every career path looked horrible to me. And I stumbled on a a business one, an entrepreneurship one, is when I went and took an intro to entrepreneurship class. And that's just like, boom. That's it. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And so that's when I switched all of them. So I had to throw away like 50 credits and I started doing business school credits at that point. Gotcha. That's, that's just crazy. So, um, as you're heading down this business school path, Mm -hmm. at what point did you realize being an entrepreneur was, was your path? Pretty quick. It was one of those things where it's like, where has this been my whole life? I just yeah. didn't know it was an option. I wasn't, pre- high school never talked about it. My parents never talked about it because they didn't know it was an option. Um, it was always viewed as too risky. And I 
I just never knew. And so once I, I kind of fell into it, literally a couple of weeks in the class, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start my own business. Sure. Like, um, I stopped very quickly. I stopped caring about school. Like I kept going for a few more semesters, but I started realizing it was just a complete waste of my time. Um, so I started, I started trying to start a business within a couple of weeks of that class. I was starting to look, okay, how do I start a business and started kind of getting my feet wet in that space. So, so when you made that realization at first though, mm-hmm. what was the debate like in your head? Well, it was the, your, your normal class, you'd say debate where it's, oh, I still need to get a degree. Like a degree is important. It's going to give you security and you're going to learn things from it. And so I was fighting that. So I was, I was doing it after. So it's like, I go to school, do all my credits and I'll start trying to start a business after I go to school and after my homework's done or after I go on a date or after I do these things. So it's something I wanted, but I was never dedicating time to it because I was still on that conventional path that my I was going to be the first person in my family to get a degree, which was going to be a big deal for my family because no one had ever gone to college wow. and gotten a degree um, beyond like an associate's. I think one of my sisters might have an associate's. Um, and, and so you was, still failed the family. And I still failed the family. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, no, I have 120 credits and I don't even have an associate's degree. <laughs> I have so many hours. Um, but no, it was pretty quick that I just realized this is what I want to do. I want to be my own boss. I want to control my own destiny. And I want to, I want to build things. I want to invent things. Like it very quickly realized it was, I, I was far more passionate about it than any class I was taking at school up to that point. Sure. Mm-hmm. I have to interject here um, in getting your story, just because I made this realization as you were talking. Mm. I was like, oh my goodness. Like your, your pursuit into entrepreneurship mm-hmm. has dramatically changed the direction and future of many many members of this family because hmm. think about it right like you and and mike our brother-in-law yeah that roped him in mike was then... just a security guy at walmart yeah hating his life that's true <laughs> <laughs> and i want to get his story yeah it's so sad he's sick he couldn't be here um for this but uh yeah so so who knows what he would have ended up doing he was yeah. going down that path um I, and just the fact that I think about how what what has been started there has opened our parents' minds, True. our mind, my mind, mm-hmm. I- including um, to to see like, oh, if I need to make a, a little extra money, mm-hmm. all I have to do is just get entrepreneurial, right, and just come up with something, anything. right? It's like, oh, it, you know, even if it's very temporary, it sure. could be like like it we're works, talking though. about like doing like a temporary bake sale with a yeah. wife or something, right? Or it's just like, oh, if we need a couple of dollars, go get it. Easily do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many different ways to increase your income to mm-hmm. to get yourself out of situations financially to progress yourself. Yeah, and that's be, and actually none of us would have had this sort of mindset and thinking had it not been actually for mm-hmm. for you going down this path. So, I, that, I left into the path, so I'm glad I did. <laughs> so, and actually, uh, uh, about this path, then, um, describe the conversation uh, when you first mentioned to your wife that you wanted to dr- wanted to drop basically college and everything and start your own company. It wasn't <laughs> horrible because I had already decided I was going to be an entrepreneur when we first started dating. Okay, and so very clearly, I made that from the get go. I'm like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. So it sounds like there were multiple um, conversations. Can you describe that initial conversation when you were dating her? Well, I don't think she knew what it meant, but <laughs> I don't think I knew what it meant. Sure. I didn't have a successful business yet. Sure. I was trying and failing repeatedly. So 
she's like, oh, cool. But I think it's one of those, he's like, oh, nice, honey. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of we, either of us knew what that entails in the roller coaster. That means in the, the, the sheer amount of work that goes into that. Um, so it helped though, cause that at least wasn't a surprise to her. It wasn't like a sudden change in direction. She always knew that's the path I was going down. We just didn't know how crazy that path would be. And down the road, there were times where it was like, it was stressful because is because especially as a woman, it's like they want security more on average, especially if you're going to be rearing children and doing things like that. Yeah. So I remember there was a couple points where it would be really stressful and we, we butt our heads a little bit in the beginning, but overall she's been pretty supportive. Sure. And I think it was good because we had that open communication from the beginning and it, now she's, she's, she's all in like, she's super entrepreneurial now. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. But it was new to her too. She yeah. didn't, no one in her family had really gone down that route either. But was, where was this, was there a big worry when you were not going to get a degree? Was it like, yeah, um, be an entrepreneur, but like, what about the not, degree? Not, not huge okay. because I kind of whittled away at her as <laughs> I was learning that degrees were useless for most people. Um, so at first we were going down the degree path and we fought it for a few semesters and I slowly kept, I weaned off of it. So I'm like, okay, I'll just do, I'll just do half credits this semester. And I got even busier. And then I was lucky because by the time I quit, we'd already made a million dollars in our first business. Yeah. And so that was easier for my wife to swallow because it's like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) I was so busy and we're already, we had already (laughs) making decent money running our own business. So I don't think it was as hard as it probably would have been had we not had that success Sure. by the time I dropped out. Oh yeah. No, mm-hmm. that, that, that makes sense. That definitely cushions things. Yes. <laughs> we, we made a million. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's drop out. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> just, just <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we, I guess one of the big reasons why I also wanted to get you in this, uh, to interview you for this podcast is, you know, as you know, I focus on faith, family, freedom, and, and mm-hmm. principles, um, and especially principles that, that they true principles stem from religious teaching. Yes. In particular, I know from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, now something that I find is very interesting is that there is a major divorcement going on, mm-hmm. constantly going on. In fact, there's, there's several different types of divorces, um, out there, but the biggest divorce that, that is constantly happening is the divorce between people's religious moral values and real yeah. life. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, oh, well, I can I can believe, you know, such and such a thing. And then I can. Uh, uh, but then so, so and, and what I mean is I can say that I believe these things and give lip service to them. Yeah. And, and say spiritually, these are values of mine. But then the way you live and what you the actions <laughs> you take completely contradict it. Right. Yeah. It's it's like certain politicians we've discussed oh earlier um, yeah. or, um, or or even those who will support. Uh, certain very evil things, right? Elective mm-hmm. abortion, where it's like, yeah, you, you, hold on, hold on, you, you follow Jesus Christ, you believe the Bible, <laughs> you believe these things, yeah. Okay, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, where, where, where's, where did the divorcement happen, and why did it happen, right? But that's, mm-hmm. but that's the culture we live in now, where it's all about, you know, their lips are drawn near to me with their lips, but their, their hearts, hearts are, are far from, from me. me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, um, it's, it's about paying homage uh it, it, it you know symbolically but sure. never realistically yeah uh, to it so i i bring that up because you have seen this in, in ways people many people will never experience right mm-hmm. you've rubbed shoulders as you mentioned earlier <laughs> with millions of millionaires yeah 
um, ever since well, hundreds, hundreds of millionaires. <laughs> I put the word million in there twice. <laughs> Goodness, uh, you've rubbed shoulders shoulders with people, and you've um, you've done business in in ways many people will not. Mm-hmm. Right, many people who start a business will be small time local. For generally sure. speaking, um, you're you're doing a lot of manufacturing. You're you have to really have a good network. Um, what? Why do you think that there is this divorcement between our religious moral values and then real life? Um, because I don't think they truly are their values. I think I think a lot of people treat God or religion or politics. It's something they. It's just something they grew up around. So they just. I don't think they go that much deeper into it. So and I think that's a problem. I think someone that's truly converted to christ or the gospel everything else rotates around that whereas i think most people don't go that deep they're like oh my dad was a democrat or my dad was a republican so i'm a republican and they don't dive into why what that means what it means to be a liberal or conservative because they both have their values but they don't go deeper and so it's just kind of like cheering for a team so i think what happens is a lot of people they're just doing it because of the convenience because they grew up in it and also they grew up in a society where we have internet and social media and the news saying something completely different to them and they've 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 bought into this lie and it's a great lie but it's like separation of church and state that was not that's not no part of the constitution <laughs> well it's not in the constitution that's yeah. in no in our founding documents yeah that's that statements founding fathers have mentioned and all they meant was there wasn't supposed to be a state-sponsored church exactly. they prayed in congress they did all they practiced religion in congress yep your religion is how you fundamentally view the world that's how you're going to vote. That's how you're going to work. That's how you're going to do everything. That's how you debate the if issues. If you're converted. Now, the problem is, is I, I think a lot of people, once again, they're, they don't really understand or they're not that converted. So they're like, well, I don't want to impose my views on someone else. It's like, that's not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ overturned tables and he called people out and he, sh- he shook the boat politically to political leaders. So, yes, we, sh- we, we need to convince people. We don't want to do it with force. But... Your religion can't be divorced from your politics or anything else in life. It's like people, oh, I do this on Sunday, but I do something else the other days of the week. Then then you don't actually understand what you do on Sunday. And yeah. it's pointless. You're just going through motions. The, and I think a lot of people are just going through motions and that's it. Yeah. And, and I think if you look at the Old and the New, and the new Testament, mm-hmm. the central theme around all of this is a continual returning to Christ. Yes. But but that process is always the the like the number one step, the needed required step in that process is always self reflection and self realization, right? Yeah. So in, in other words, you are account you are holding yourself accountable mm-hmm. to you to God, right? Yeah. And I feel like uh, people they they don't make that connection mm-hmm. because maybe the their relationship with with God is actually not close. Yeah. So therefore, no. they they don't they don't realize that they are not holding themselves accountable to. Mm-hmm. to god well that's why i don't know if they're truly converted or converted sure like not to condemn them but it's you you literally can't if you're converted you're not going to support things that go against what god says yeah. period so i think they're they just kind of went through the motions and they don't realize that those things i i think so many people were so stuck we don't think deep anymore. We we're used to instant gratification. We have microwaves. We have TikTok. We have we can't even watch an hour movie anymore. Like we we need these we need them in snippets anymore. We need tweets. And so I think people don't go deep anymore. 
And I think that's why they don't see the conflict. Because when you look at a lot of things at surface value, it makes sense. Like when I look at a lot of things that a lot of my leftist friends support, at surface value, it sounds nice and great. But you go one or two layers deep, you're like, oh, the consequences of this are terrible, though. And most people don't go that deep, though. They stay at the surface. And it's understandable. It's, 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 we're so prosperous as a society, we don't have to dig deep. For most of human existence, you had to dig deep or you died. But now we, we have so many systems in place protecting us and we have so much technology making our life so easy that we can get away with living without dig, digging deep. And we're missing out on a big part of the human experience because of that. Because we never have to go deep and we never have to struggle for something or fight for something. And I think that's actually making us less human. And it's why we're so depressed as a society. We're, our, our suicide rates are going through the roof and our depression rates are through the roof and our anxiety is through the roof and obesity is going through the roof. Like all these things are because we have, because we have no physical struggle, we're weak mentally and we, we need more struggle to become our full selves as human beings and as children of God from both you take it from a religious standpoint or from an evolutionary standpoint, say God didn't exist. We're still not meant to live such soft lives and we're not fulfilling our full potential, but from a religious standpoint, it's like we're children of God and we're meant to become like God. And the only way for that to happen is for you to actually stretch and grow and work out. But we don't and we don't have to. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. So that's why I think most people don't even see the disconnect between, oh, I, I'm anti-murder, but I'm pro-abortion. It's like thou shalt not kill. I believe that, but I'm fine with abortion. Like it's we don't I don't think people even realize that those things are counter to each other. Yeah, and that's what blows my mind. Uh, something, a couple of things that you had said brought to my mind um, that you know, it, adversity is is necessary. Adversity mm -hmm. is necessary for for growth, and you can have self imposed adversity, mm -hmm. meaning you chose to go out to find growth opportunities, right? Like those who hustle at a job, sure. but they're trying to grow up and uh, get in the ranks and 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 uh, climb that ladder or self-imposed through dumb, uh, dumb decisions. Sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> There's that. But then uh, we, like you were saying, we have such a life of ease that it made me think to, to he whom much is given, much is required. Right. Mm -hmm. Or the Peter Parker saying, you know, sure. great responsibility or great power comes great yeah. responsibility. Uh, but in essence, right. We have so much really, it, it is really hard to now take a moment and sit down and try to engage the brain in problem solving things yeah. that are that are useful to the rest of the world, even to ourselves, right? Um, rather, we would just comfort ourselves to death. Yeah. We're never allowed to be bored. And maybe that's why we're never passionate enough to dig deep into something. So think about it. Like for most of human existence, so say you're like a Viking and you're just like, you're <laughs> I, like not saying what they did was right, but, but there are things they did that was impressive. It's like, I'm going to sail across this ocean for a week or two and then go raid like violently <laughs> and I'm probably going to get killed, but you had nothing to do for two weeks, but think about it. You're on the ocean just rowing. So you have so much boredom pent up in you that when you get there, you're just going to explode. You're literally like, this is what I came for. I've been bored for two weeks out of my mind for this. It's all encompassing. It's all on your mind. Sure. And I think that allowed them to accomplish hard feats. And same for artists, same for Michelangelo, same for Da Vinci, all these people. They really had to think about projects they're working on. And you would spend hours and hours consciously and subconsciously thinking about it because there was nothing else to do. And so when it came time to act, you acted and you did it in full force. But today, 
we can't even sit alone for a few minutes without pulling up Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or anything or even the values like I like listening to a lot of audiobooks but even that can be a detriment when I d you need to think in order to think deep it's just like any other muscle if you don't practice that muscle it grows weak and we're so easily we are, these smartphones while they're amazing we're so used to being instantly t entertained that we never get bored and because we never get bored we never get I think that's one of the reasons we don't get as passionate about things because we're just stuck in a, a mid level. So we never get those mental lows in that sense from like a boredom standpoint that we never get these bouts of extreme creativity or extreme passion. And I think it's because of the constant entertainment. It's just everywhere. We're not allowed to be bored. And thus we have a weak muscle. Our brain has never gone to the gym. It's never had to exercise self-control and it's never had to delve deeper into philosophy or anything. And it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. We want to be spoon fed our religion, which nowadays is yeah. politics. Politics yeah. Is, is the new religion. We don't even want a um, spoon anymore. We don't want to, I don't, I have to chew. No, <laughs> just give me an IV and put it that's in my true. arm so I can just lay here. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, I'm curious to, to ask you then, as you, as you were getting into, um, this world of people who make lots of money. Um, who are, who, you know, have businesses and stuff that, and, um, I guess really what I'm trying to ask is what, what were the people like those? So you talked about there was the generous millionaires, mm -hmm. right? but what were the people like who were pseudo millionaires or, or you know, or, or they're wealthy, oh, yeah. right? Cause, cause yes. you also met. People who only make hundreds of thousands sure. of dollars, right? Well, but, I met some scumbag millionaires too. True. Okay. Like, so, <laughs> so what 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 would you say is characteristic of those people? Like, like the fake ones or the real wealthy? Uh, the real wealthy scumbags. So the wealthy. So a lot of people say money changes you, but it doesn't. It just reveals you. It it allows you to act on your baser instincts. So if you're going to be a generous person, money allows you to be more generous. If you're uh, a crook, money allows you to be more of a crook. Um, it. It doesn't really change you. It just enables you. And so while I don't think the percentage of crooks that become millionaires, I don't think there's a higher percentage of people that are millionaires that were scumbags. Wait, but man, didn't they steal the money from people to become rich? So the, some <laughs> of these, well, no, some of these did. So that's what I'm saying. It's like the majority of millionaires I met were amazing people, but there were some that got there in shady ways. And I, I fell for that. Like one of my first businesses we had, we led in a part, he was a mentor like recommended from BYU and we had already done a million in revenue. So my first business Illumable is this toilet nightlight we invented just a fun, fun product, but exploded, went viral. We'd already done a million dollars. We had filmed on shark tank. We hadn't aired yet, but we'd filmed. And so we partnered with someone that approached us. They're like, Hey, it's impossible to get into retail alone. And I didn't know I was still in college. I hadn't even dropped out yet. So I'm like, Oh, I, I'm, this guy has a good reputation here in Utah. So I'm going to, I'm going to go follow him. Um, and so I gave him half the ownership in my company, just gave it to him. I didn't know he was supposed to buy it. I didn't know that that was normal business protocol. I gave him half the equity of a business oh, that man. I'd already done over a million in revenue. And it just started clashing within months. And so we almost separated. And then he was like, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to be more humble. I'm like, well, maybe he's right. I'm new to this. I need to be more humble, I guess. So I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. We'll do this your way. And they were just running my business into the dirt. So we started clashing again and every good thing that happened in the business was against their advice. And I was so confused because I'm like, this guy has such a good reputation around here. He's a mentor to university students. How is this guy so bad at business? What am I missing? 
And as I would dig deeper, it turns out that he'd never come up with his own products. He took them from other people. There was an, the, the main product he had before, they took from a doctor, from someone else, and didn't even hardly give him thanks. And with my business, we, we had merged bank accounts, which once again, all these stupid mistakes that should have been red, red flags. I wish I had a lawyer back then to look at it before I gave him sure. half the company. But they kept making these stupid business choices. And then they kept complaining when we would spend money on the business, even though we were paying ourselves hardly anything, me and Mike, the only people actually running the business. Sure. And we're like, what is going on? Like we have, we have like 800 grand in the bank. Why are they complaining about us spending 10 grand on this new product we're working on? And it, it finally came out from his account. The next tax season, we had almost a million dollars missing that they embezzled. So one oh, of our, uh, the, yeah, one of <laughs> their accountants let it, let it slip that they were going to show a loss with their other business. And they, and our money was cooking their books basically. And they ended up selling their business a year later, it turns out. So they needed to cook their books to make it look like they were more successful than they were. But none of that was out at the time. I was just like, what's going on? Sure. Um, now it turns out they were stealing the money to support themselves. And so we, so we separated, we, we sold the business, walked away, um, walked away for pennies on the dollar just to get out of that bad relationship. This was four, three and a half years ago, four years ago, almost not three and a half years ago. Um, but yeah, there's, there are leeches. Now I don't think there's more leeches that are millionaires. There's just every walk of life. I've met leeches. I meet a lot of poor leeches. I met a lot of middle-class leeches. It's just, they can do more damage when they're richer, just like they can do more good when you're richer. It's, it just magnifies whatever you are. So I've definitely learned to be less trusting <laughs> of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when the, when the cost is high, at least that is a, a big life lesson that I have no doubt that they believed they were doing the right thing in their mind, just like Hitler was doing the right thing in his mind. Like I'm sure they justified you can, oh, it. Yeah. You can always justify it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I don't care about intentions anymore. All I care about is like, what's right, what's wrong, what was agreed to. And that's how you have to judge a person in yeah. this life. Now, thou shalt not judge their eternal soul. So I don't know if they'll go to hell or not. I hope they don't. But I, you do have to judge in this life. And otherwise, you'll always be a sucker. Yeah, you have to be a mm -hmm. judge of character, right? You have to. Yep. And that's... that's Christ, yeah. Christ was a judge of character Christ all, did it the all the time. All the time. People are trying to catch him in a net and he'd be like... <laughs> well, even people... <laughs> he rejected disciples. People would come to him and want to follow him. And he said, he'd be like, no. He'd, John like, the Baptist did it too with the yeah. family. He's like, he's just like, I'm sorry, you can't follow. It's like, go, nope. Like he had to be picky. You be, you have limited time and you become who you spend time with and you have limited resources. He allowed basically 12 guys to follow him around. And even of them, he only let three into his most intimate moments. So yes, you should be loving to everyone and kind to everyone, but you only have so much time in your day to truly allow so many people in your inner circle Otherwise, you'll accomplish nothing. And that isn't, that's not a Christ-like life. Yeah. I feel like um, I've met so many Christians who believe Christianity, and I, and I get why people have had this perception. By their actions, they convince others that Christianity is the religion of suckerhood. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like this turns you into a sucker. You just are nice no matter what people do. It's mm -hmm. like... Yeah, I mean, if that were true, then America never would have gotten off the ground because America yeah. was founded upon actual Christian, Christian principles. Values. Yeah, Christian values and principles. Um, yeah. And you know, you you have to be a good judge of character, uh, and that that matters. Um, well, it's a misunderstanding of we're so far. We're two thousand years from when Christ's teachings happened on Earth. Sure. Um, and 
that was in Aramaic in a Hebrew culture, later written in Greek, later translated to Latin, later translated to German, later translated to us. We're, we're so far away culturally that we lose a lot of the understanding of the Bible. We read it. So a lot of people read the Bible so literally that they lose, they lose the actual value of the story. Hebrews, when they would tell their stories, they would do similes and personifications and all these things all the time to pack a principle because most people couldn't read. So I'm going to tell you a story that's going to be memorable and you go tell that to your kids around the campfire and so on and so forth. But there's a core principle that will make you a more successful person or a better person. And we lose that. And we've become, Christians have lost that. Like so many Christians are anti-self-defense even because they, they completely misunderstand like... So what Christ says, if a man, if a man smiteth thee on thy left cheek, turn thy right cheek also, or on thy right cheek, give to him the other cheek. To us, we're like, oh, you can't, you can't defend yourself. That is not what he's teaching. The simple fact that he says your right cheek means that's a backhand. That's not, you're not smacked in a way that's going to damage you physically. It's an insult. Otherwise it would be your left cheek. Cause most people in that culture, culture were right-handed. If they were going to punch you with a closed fist, it would hit your left cheek. Christ specifically says, if someone smiteth you on your right cheek, which means that you were backhanded. Sure. So he's talking about if someone's insulting you, great, let them get over it. Words won't hurt me. He's not saying you can't defend yourself. And it's the same thing. He says, blessed are the meek. So we, when we think of meek, I love this. Yeah. Meek. It's, <laughs> when, when, when we think of meek, we think it's like, oh, he's, like, he's quiet and meek as a mouse and he's not going to, you can't hurt anyone. No, back then meek the original Greek translation of someone that was meek, it was someone that was highly trained in violence and war and they had a, sh- a sharpened weapon and they chose not to use it. It means someone that is basically disciplined basically and always very ready. disciplined and ready. Yeah. Like that's what it means to be meek. It's like you're capable of extreme violence and you restrain yourself from it. We think of meek now, we think of someone that's just a wimp. It's like, no, you just know when to use your strength and when not to use your strength. That makes you a meek person. And most Christians have lost that literally in translation over 2000 years. Yeah. And that's why it's, we've, we've become, like you said, our founding fathers weren't like this, but over the last 200 years, we've turned so soft and it's not biblical. It's not supported by biblical teachings. Well, we have all the, um, all the experts, you know, all the political (laughs) uh, politicians who happen to be experts on everything. They help inform us. And then, you know, we're at the point where amen and Hey, hey, women. women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're stupid. I can't believe it. But but going back to the meek thing, that it makes sense though. That is why the meek shall inherit the earth, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I remember I was so amazed when I learned that. I think it was I first heard that from Jordan Peterson. I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, holy crap! But that makes sense. Like, if you are someone who is well trained, capable of much, mm-hmm. um, but but are self restrained, yeah, 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 you have you have restraint, right? I think of the mo- like, like that creates successful families, uh, mm-hmm. societies, individuals. Because first of all, you can't be well, you can't be really you know for example capable of really of violence mm-hmm. unless you are well trained, right? You are a trained warrior. In other words, you have literally put an effort into becoming into building up into something, right? Yeah. The the unskilled warrior is always easy, most easily killed. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, like well, and that just, goes directly back to my experience with these millionaires. Yeah. So this this guy that scammed us and embezzled our money, it's come back to bite him. Like their reputation's out, and a lot of people know that, and they avoid business with him now. Sure. He got away with it for a while. He wasn't meek. He had power, and he wielded it wrong. And I know a lot of other millionaires that in power they wield it right, and they just get more and more of it now because yeah. people trust them, and then they get more opportunities, and they get more money, and they get more opportunities, and they get more money. So the bill comes due eventually. 
will people eke through? Yeah, but for for the average person, these principles work. Yeah. For the majority of people, this is the path to success in any route you want in life. Even from a non even from a secular secular standpoint, it will still make you successful. When you when you had this realization, right? And, and I believe this is probably as you're coming to conclusions in your mind after mm-hmm. going through this, when you're realizing that my gosh, there are people who you know are part of my faith, even like I know what they mm-hmm. should be living by and, and believing in. Uh, when you made the realization that people will actually divorce that and live completely yeah. contrary, how did that make you feel? Well, it sucked at first. <laughs> I was so naive. Well, it never crossed my mind to to scam someone. It never crossed my mind to lie someone. It's just it's not something I do. And you have to realize you have to come to terms with how the world is. And at first it sucks and it makes you jaded. I get why people get jaded. I get why so many people get jaded in life and they stop pursuing dreams or they stop pursuing goals because you get punched in the face. Someone scams you. Something bad happens. Something tragic happens. And it's exhausting and it makes you depressed and it's tiring. Um, So I I can relate to a lot of people that stop dreaming because it hurts to dream and fail. Um, So I went through that, but it's like, no, I can't stop though. Like I'd rather, it's like the Rudy concept again. I would rather dream and fail than not try because that there's more man is not meant to eat on bread alone. Once again, like Christ teaches that life is more than just working to eat and to have a basic existence. Like we're meant, we're Living meant to, to die. We're meant to grasp for more. We're meant to reach. We're meant to grow. And so I came to terms with that where it's like, okay, there's, there's scumbags out there. Deal with it. Don't be a scumbag yourself. Protect yourself from getting scammed by others and move on, move forward. Um, don't dwell on it. I know so many people that just are perpetual victims. And I get, I, I see why the the left has so much power right now because people, everyone's a victim. The right does it too. Well, so more, more, more importantly, not uh, the left has so much power because they have now uh, taken the power of government, government right, mm-hmm. which is the power of the people, yeah. to now incentivize uh, You're rewarded to be a victim. Exactly. And yeah. that won't work period this society any society that does that will crumble so something's going to change or we're going to crumble and it's going to change exactly now okay now do i have to deal with that but i'm not going to do in my life just because the society is going to go down with around me doesn't mean i have to sure like just roll with it um and accept it how it is and i know so many people that are victims and they're just miserable they're miserable all the time and i feel bad for them but i can't do anything I can sympathize, but I'm not going to enable it. Like enabling, it just makes it worse. And that's not love. Like love is to let them hurt for their own good. But that's exactly how love through the progressive left is defined. Enablement. Yeah. Right? If you love me, you will support me in this. Like, Mm -hmm. no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Well, I I think it's... I I love you. Going back to the uh, Mm -hmm. parent-child concept. I love you enough to hurt you. Yeah. I will hurt your feelings. And that will make you better off (laughs) long term. Exactly. And they don't do that. Now, I think the right does it too. I think, honestly, at this point, I think it's just politic. All pretty much all politicians suck, right or left. That's where they know they could get their power, so that's where they went. I don't think most politicians are sincere in their beliefs. I think they they're like, oh, I'm in Utah. I know I should be conservative, to get voted. Or I'm in California. I know I need to be. Left. I think they all just kind of want. They have their own agenda. They have their. They want their own power. Sure. Uh, most of them, I could care less. Now, the left is currently in full control of the government. But the, the danger is they're in may, they control almost all media, and that's the danger. Like, would the right do it if they're in control? Probably. 
That's why we should make it so none of them can do it. But right now it is coming from the left because they control Hollywood. They control academia. Over the last couple of decades, they've, they've infiltrated and taken it over. Four out of five professors are lefties now. Like, it's very rare to find conservative professors now. So that's the danger. That's why it's coming from the left. But I think it's just... Donald Trump did this a lot. He's like, I'll protect you. I'll protect you. Um, it's just worse from the left right now. And sure. so that's why I think it needs to be called out more on the left right now. So it's like, if I have to ally with someone on the right for now to right the ship, okay. Do I like the person on the right? No, but at least they're counterbalance. Sure. But but politics are really just a, uh, a symptom of us as a people, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, they, they, they follow what we allow. Yeah. It, and and we're that's, so, that's, so we're the ones we're that are so shallow innocent. going yeah. back to what we talked about earlier that we allow anything sure because oh i'm gonna get a 600 hundred dollar check i'm gonna get whatever we don't look at consequences oh i'm gonna wear a mask when the science doesn't actually support it outside of hospitals and nursing homes like we do all these things because because we don't dig deep and so we get what we deserve we vote for it and we allow it yeah so it's our fault now going back to you uh making these realizations and not going through this and you're, and you're continuing to pursue your happiness, your dream, right? Sure. Uh, entrepreneurship. Um, what, what did you, what did you make of that experience? What, what do you mean? Um, what, what would you like? How, how is your life now? Like the way you go about uh, pursuing your happiness. And um, now that you've basically gained this wisdom through hard experience, how, how, how did your behavior change? So, well, I mean, in a couple ways. So there's, it's like, okay, when it comes to dealing with people, you need to be very careful who you trust because um, they can make or break you completely. So clear communication is pivotal. So it's like, okay, if you're going to go into a partnership, communicate it, write it down. So you intent get intentions out of the way. Everyone thinks they're the hero. They're doing the right thing. Make it written down so there's no miscommunication so that's one thing i learned it's like okay i'm gonna be really careful who i partner with because that was that was the worst person to scam me i had several other scams i had another one that scammed me out of a hundred thousand dollars in another venture i had someone another one before that that scammed me and so i've i've had it happen multiple times where it's like fool me once shame on you but fool me twice it's like i, I did it three or four times so it's like sh double shame on me <laughs> that's right um, it's like so a, it's i had like to keep getting like... punched in the face oh, to yeah. finally realize i'm like this is human nature i need to avoid it and I don't have to be like that. That's the whole point of the gospel. It's like, I'm going to become like God. I'm going to be better than this. I'm not going to scam people. And I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm not harming people even when my intentions are pure. That's once again, I don't care about your intentions. Um, another thing I realized is that you really need to not put all, you need to constantly be pursuing multiple things because if you put all your eggs in one basket in life and it fails, it breaks you a lot of times. And I've seen so many people be broken because their big dream or goal or whatever failed. So it's like, you need to have multiple routes. You need to plant multiple seeds. Like when you, when you, when you plant a garden in the spring, I really like gardening. You don't plant one seed and be like, this is going to be my watermelon. It's like, no, <laughs> you plant a couple dozen, you see what sprouts and you pick them until you get the biggest, healthiest ones. And then you focus more and more energy on those. It's like, you don't know what's going to sprout. And that's a huge mistake. I see where people, they bet the farm on something <clears throat> And they just get devastated. And I got devastated. It took me a couple of years to recover from that broken partnership and all the money they stole from me. And, I, and it was depressing. So now I've learned it's like, no, I'm going to plant tons of different seeds and then cultivate them wherever I can. And then 
as they need my attention, yes, I'll devote it there so I don't get spread too thin either. I can put things on the back burner, but I'm not going to ever put my eggs in one basket again. So it's like, I'm never going to have one source of income ever again. I'm going to have all these, I'm going to have real estate income coming in and I'm going to have this business and a side business and a sourcing business and these different things because it makes you more and more free to where you can pursue your big goals and to where you can help other people. Because when you're broke and you can't, when you can barely take care of yourself, you can't help anyone else. So if you really want to help a lot of people in your life, you have a duty to get in a position where you can not have to worry about the lower things on Maslow's hierarchy. It's like sure. your food's covered, your your home's covered, all those things are covered. If you're stressed out worrying about those, you can't, you're not even going to notice that your neighbor is suffering, or that someone else is hurting. So it's like, okay, how do I get in a position to where I can never have to stress about those things ever again? And it takes years and it's I'm still not done. I'm still building that. Had I been smarter, I'd already be there. But with those mistakes I made, I didn't. So that's kind of my direction now. It's like, okay, how do I diversify in life where I can be more secure? And then how do I pursue more of my little goals now? Because I used to always, in 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 order to achieve that one big goal or this $1 million business or whatever, I would sacrifice everything. It's like, I'm not going to pers- I'm not going to travel or I'm not going to do these little these little side projects I want. And I've come to realize like I could have been enjoying a lot of these little fun luxuries in life, like an aquarium I have. It's something I wanted since a kid, a big aquarium built in the wall. And I always put it off because I needed to put all my money in my big goal. It cost me a hundred dollars and I get so much pleasure out of it in my whole house and my family, my nieces that live with us. We all get so much pleasure out of it. Something that cost a hundred dollars I put off for years, quote unquote, because I had to be all in on my big goal. It's like, no, there's a lot of small things you can enjoy now and you don't have to sacrifice them to this ephemeral future goal. Sure. And that's one big shift I've made in the last couple of years. It's like, you never know what's going to happen. So start pursuing more of your other smaller goals and bucket list items now as much as you can, because if you're creative, you can probably do it and it's not going to break your big goal anyway. And honestly, it'll probably get you closer to your big goal faster because you'll be happier and you'll be more rested and you'll be more creative because you'll have a diversity of things you're enjoying. So that's been a big focus for me over the last year is to actually step back and smell more roses along the way. That's, it's actually fantastic that we live in such a state that we, you know, I mean like United States, like a state United States, but in such a place that in time of the world that we can actually fulfill a lot of things that we want to do yeah right? you we, couldn't most yeah. people could never yeah exactly and many people still can't right mm-hmm. like we're, we're so fortunate yet we're willing to throw it all away yeah right and i and i really wonder about this because you think of like the the parable of the um of the goodness now i'm just blanking on it the prodigal son right yeah where his he's like dad what i want my my half of the inheritance now Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, hold on. Like, like I'm not dead yet. <laughs> okay. Still here. here you go. Uh, and then he goes off to a too far off city and yep. Blows squanders it all. All, all of it. Right. But that's exactly where we're at now, where we too many people. Uh, actually, let me say it differently, because that's starting to sound very that's going to I'm saying it wrong. We benefit from the sacrifices of people. Uh, you know, from ages past. Yes. All, all the things they've done, they they, they uh, built it up to now. Yep. But also, um, we now have too many, too many people unengaged in the actual pursuit of happiness. Yeah. 
right? So we continue to benefit strongly from the pursuits of, from other people pursuing happiness. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about like, like tons of different types of business people, right? Yeah. Well, not just a Jeff Bezos or a, um, a, a Mr. Wonderful or anything like that, but sure. like tons of people who will continually find ways to provide value because it benefits them. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, because we live in a capitalistic society, consequently, anything that they do to benefit themselves benefits others. Yeah. And and now it's too easy to benefit from that while never truly seeking your, your own actual happiness. Never yeah. never pursuing happiness, right? So um, you talk about maybe putting off that fish tank that you discover mm-hmm. later is only 100 bucks and it brought yeah. a lot of happiness to you. People will, uh, will squander all that they have and not upon things that will actually be worthwhile and bring yes. them happiness, right? Be- because everything else is now too convenient. Mm-hmm. It, the convenience is way, is way too strong. <laughs> yeah. If that's so, I don't know yeah. if I can say it that way, but the convenience is very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, with family, what, what do you feel like, uh, are the, uh, the most important, um, principles that guide a family? Well, I mean, obviously it's, built on the gospel principles so it's like if your number one goal so like that love is the most important of all if you truly love someone you're going to care about their well-being above your own so it's like i'm not going to help you because it helps me it's like this is i want what's best for you and so you're going to do whatever's best for them even if it's against your best interest so we just talked about this earlier with children you have children it's inconvenient to train them how to do something because it takes more time from your day, but that's the best thing for them. So if you love them, you'll help them with that. And it's no different for your spouse. Like, I think we must understand what love is. Hollywood has destroyed it. Like we don't know. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice, period. Love has nothing to do with sex, period. Like love, it's like, I'm going to, so with my wife, if I love her, I'm going to do things that are inconvenient for me that make her life better. And sometimes that's making her life easier. Sometimes that's making her life harder depending on what, she, where she needs to grow. Like when we first got married, um, Melissa would always have me, she's like, it'd always be these little things where it's like, hang this picture frame for me or hang all these things. And I'd be happy to, but it got to the point where she was, she would have, she would wait till I'd get home to do it and it would never get done. But then she's not even happier because there was that, she didn't know how, or there's that expectation. So it's like, no, let me show you how to do this and you can do it. And then she's happy because she can go decorate the house and doesn't have to wait for me. Sure. Even though at first it seems rude for me to be like, no, you do it or let me show you how to do it. But she's happier long-term because of it. Now there are plenty of times where it's like, Hey, I need a favor and you go do it for her or you surprise her with something. But it's one of those things. It's like by loving her, I'm making her need me less. And I think that scares people. I think a lot of people try to hold their spouses or, or partners hostage or their family members hostage. They, they want, they, they get, they, they associate their self-worth with how much they're needed by someone else. And sure. I think it's the opposite. The better I am at doing my job as a husband or an uncle or a spouse is by making you need me less. Like my wife's happiness should not be contingent on me and vice versa. Um, Interdependence is, is, and, is completely necessary mm-hmm. for healthy relationships. And so I think that's one of the core things we've lost is... We don't understand what true love is and we don't know how to enable each other to be their strongest version of themselves. Sure. And I think if you can do that in a relationship, you're set. 
Like, because you know you got their back no matter what, and they have your back no matter what. And you know they're capable. They're not someone that's just incompetent. And I feel like often we try to keep family members incompetent because we want, I want to be that guy that brings this pie every time or whatever. <laughs> so I'm not going to share the recipe. And I've seen that happen with so many family members with people. And I think mm-hmm. you only you only bring up that example because recently my wife gave you the recipe for the lemon squash. Oh yeah, <laughs> I will never cook them as good as her. Let let, let that be known. But um, context yes. for this, like, yeah, <laughs> my wife makes she bakes everything heavenly. That that mm-hmm. is like her gift from God, mm-hmm. and she makes lemon squares that you love. They're so good, so good. Um, mm-hmm. and and she could have hoarded that. She could have been like, no, this is a family recipe, and I'm never going to give you that. And she and she shared that with you for you to be able yeah. to make. Yeah. So it's like, she's, she's not holding anything hostage and, but a lot of people do. Yeah. (laughs) And actually what's funny about that is she, she's willing, she's happily, she'll happily bring other things to our get togethers. Mm -hmm. But also I have to remind her cause she doesn't expect it. I still remind her, uh, people really just want you to bring the goodies. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we can bring something else, but like, most people just want you, to, <laughs> want you to bake something nice and yummy. Yeah. And that, those are two. Like, it's one thing that's well, like, if you have a talent, because, let it yeah. shine. Well, also, she's not, not saying I have to be ex- the one who shows up Exactly. With this. That's it's that everyone difference. else is like, will you please? And that's different. Please. That's a good thing. It's like, I'm yeah. good at this and I'm going to share it with you and make your life better. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people start to lord that over you. And she doesn't. She's not that kind of person. But I know a lot of people where they, they do that in their relationships. Absolutely. And that's just a bad relationship. Uh, now... I do want to kind of go into a bit of a side tangent, but this I find mm. this to be fun. Um, <clears throat> we talk a lot about principles and realizations, lessons learned. Um, kind of, I feel like you can find examples of this, you know, easily depicted in cinema. Mm-hmm. Now we've beaten Rudy to death because <laughs> my little brother has a nasty bludgeoning <laughs> tool called an opinion, Ugh. and it's just bad. Mm. And uh, he destroyed that um, oh, uh, that movie, but. What, uh, I know that you like Lord of the Rings a lot. Mm. You and I. Best movies of all time. So, so good. The first trilogy, not The Hobbit. Yes, I'd never said The Hobbit. (laughs) Do not say that. Let that be clear. Uh, what would you say, uh, or I guess those movies, what principles or or, or what examples in there do you find help? help uh, you or maybe even others mm-hmm. the most because often we reflect right and mm-hmm. one of the things i love the most about lord of the rings is the fact that there is character arcs yeah like everyone has a character arc mm-hmm. it, it, like peter jackson was so smart to put it in there i mean yeah. it's in the books right like sure. character arcs really are there in the books and he kept it but he kept it and he was able he to magnify put... where necessary exactly too. and he pulled yeah. it together in a way that only only a genius could have done, done yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess what what parts of Lord of the Rings actually help help you? Uh, I guess understand these character arcs and, and and these principles and and live them to a better degree. Um. So one of the big things about it is, hey, this situation sucks, but I have to do it anyway. No one else is gonna. No one else is gonna do this. Um, I think it gets so easy in life to want to put your head in the sand, like the Shire, like everyone's stuck in the Shire, the world's about to end and everyone's heads in the sand. And even a lot of the other, the civilizations there. So it's like, but Frodo's like, okay, what do I have to do? Like he finds out it's like, this sucks. This is going to be stressful. And they just put their heads down and do it. And they, they get 
failure after failure. And it's like, we got to get this ring to Mordor. And no matter what, and one path fails, they do another path. Another path fails, they do another path. And I think that's huge in life to just accept kind of that stoicism. It's like, life sucks, deal with it. And even though it sucks, you can still have a lot of joy along the way. And so you can see that in the movies, which is really cool too, that you see them growing still, you see them you see them having all these happy moments and you see them becoming better people. And especially by the end of it, they've changed so much and they've made the world such a better place and themselves better people by willingly accepting the sucky situation and addressing it rather than running from it and or giving into it, which would have been easy and enticing to give in and they chose not to. And so I think those principles are just huge like for any society or any person, if you can embrace that, the world's your oyster it's so beautiful actually because i think frodo yeah so at the council of elrond uh frodo he's like i'll take it right no one expected him to but think about this though as they're walking out he goes mordor gandalf is it left or right so so he (laughs) He he's agreeing that like okay this has got to be my burden i've got to take on this responsibility this is gonna suck this is the Mm -hmm. hardest thing ever yeah and, and, and he doesn't even know how, how to, get, to there. get there, right? And I feel like, how many of us hang our responsibilities and opportunities up on the clothesline, right? We, we, hang, the we hang them up on the hook or whatever. It's easy. Because we go, nah, I don't know how to get there. Yeah. What is it? There's some quote along the lines of, this isn't exact, but integrity is not giving in even when anyone would ever, everyone would understand if you did. Oh, that's so, because so often we give up on things because everyone, no, everyone's like, "Hey, it's okay. You can give up. It's hard," and so we do. But true integrity is you don't, even when everyone would understand if you did, you still don't, and that's what's cool about that movie. That's what Frodo does. I love that quote. Mm-hmm. Who, who said that? I'm not sure. We'd have to look it up. That, that's that's but amazing. Really uh, good. Well, and we need more people like that in our mm-hmm. day today, right? Where we are willing to do what's right, even when. Everyone else would understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's that's exactly what it is, though. Uh, who was I talking to? I was talking to someone about this, and basic, uh, basically it came down to that they felt it was okay because everyone else thinks it's okay. Yeah. I'm well, like, that's, that's, well, that's everyone for almost everything. Yeah. That, exactly that is right. our po- politics now and our morality sure. now. Like, most people don't think deep and decide for themselves. They sure. literally look at the popular consensus, and they go with it. So whatever your social circle is, that's what you follow. And it's terrible. And it's sad. Yeah, that, it's very sad. Uh, which, uh, and I think maybe this all just this will be a thing I do in every episode. I have to bring up Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's so good. But what character do you relate the most to? Oh, man. When I was a kid, I felt like it was Aragorn. He was always my favorite. Sure. Um, and, but... and let me differentiate. Who do you relate the most to? And then my next question is actually be, who do you think everyone else would say you are? <laughs> Those oh, are very crap. two very different things. Most people would probably say I'm like Pippin or something. <laughs> and I'm like, shut up! Not Stop Boromir. cracking jokes! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we shot um, him with arrows. He did. <laughs> I don't know who people would say I was, honestly. Um, who do I relate the most to? Like, I want to relate the most to Sam, just because he's... He is the hero, um, but I I don't think I do. I think I'm more of like a. Uh, mm. Well, but I mean, like you want to relate most, but I guess really the question is not not 
who you are perceiving other people think you ought to relate mm-hmm. to, who do you actually relate the most to? And that's it what I'm, like that's it, what I'm it, trying it to decide. Is, like so you're not sure if it is Sam, it may, might be someone else? Not Legolas, for, that's for sure. Um, not you're Gimli. You're so good at the arrows. I don't think I'm... Not Gandalf. <laughs> Almost like a mix between Frodo and Sam, honestly. Because... Like... I'm not good at following people. Unless I think... If I think they're going the right direction, I'll follow them. But I also don't care if people follow me is the other thing. It's just like, this is where I think's right. I'm going to go in this direction. Um, so I do feel like Boromir, or sorry, Aragorn does that quite a bit, but Frodo and Sam do it too. Cause I don't think Sam's a follower. I think Sam's there because he knows, it's right. he knows Frodo's going to be in trouble and he wants to watch out for him. Um, and Frodo is willing to take on that burden where he's just like, I don't want to be an imposition on Sam. So I don't want Sam to come with me because I know it's going to be hard and I don't want Sam to get wrapped up in this also. Um, So almost like a mix though. I feel like I relate to them both in kind of different ways in that sense where it's like, like if things suck, like Sam, like at that point Frodo turned on him, but Sam's like, well, I don't care. I'm going to get this job done anyway. I'm going to carry you if I have to. Um, so I, I, I get that appeal. I get the appeal of not wanting to involve other people if you think it's going to hurt them. But it's like, I'm going to go get this crap done that I have to get done. So I, I relate to Frodo in that sense. But I do relate to Sam in the sense, in the other sense where it's like, well, tough luck. I'm just, I'm going to help you whether you like it or not. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I like that. Um, I would definitely say you're not a Pippin. <laughs> <laughs> Most I, I don't see you, you know, <laughs> after listening to the whole cast of Elrond being like, so, where are we going? What's, what's yeah. <laughs> Shut up. What's your problem? No, no definitely not. There, there's, there's, there's quite a bit of, um, those characters, there's so much depth. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you were, when you were describing Aragorn, because you said, I feel like Aragorn does that a lot. I thought you were actually describing Frodo. Because mm-hmm. Frodo, mm-hmm. he was like, I got to do this alone. And everyone's like, okay, yeah. And, yeah. and then you know, Sam follows. Honestly, but, they're very similar characters. They're just true. different directions. One had, like had Aragorn gotten the ring, he probably would have done the same thing, honestly. I don't think he would have given in. But For sure. just different roles. They had different needs. Like, their value. Had Frodo, Frodo was able to do things, like, very similar. Because of their backgrounds, they were able to go where they were needed most. Like, so Aragorn was able to open doors to buy Frodo the time he needed had it been flipped had Aragorn had the ring and trying to sneak into Mordor he wouldn't have been able to get the aid of Rohan the aid of these other these other people to 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 help the resistance last long enough to destroy the ring had had Frodo been in his place so it's like I don't think one's necessarily better than the other but they had different paths that that had one not done the other both of them would have failed so they were a good team in that sense absolutely like i don't know if you necessarily needed gimli or legolas like how now they 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 saved people's butts (laughs) but um like sam frodo gandalf and aragorn like for sure you needed oh yeah um yeah it's like those uh 
Never mind. That's going. That's becoming too nerdy. I'll skip that comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, let me ask you: if you uh, if you could, you know, be in front of the world and 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 present one message, what what would you say? Uh, what what would be the one, you know, message if you, if you could have a pedestal and a microphone mm. <laughs> for 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 a couple minutes? You know, what what would you say? Mm-hmm. What would you share? What do you feel like is most important to share with them today? Um... I think today the most important thing that people need to realize is that we are responsible for ourselves, for everything. That if you're going to succeed, only you can make that happen. Or if you're going to fail, you're the reason it happens. We're, we're so easily victims now, and it's so justified that it's it's a cancer. It's a disease. If you expect, If you will accept responsibility for yourself, it's amazing what you're going to be able to accomplish no excuses like stop period every i I mean everything i mean this to the point where like i i i will fight you over this like (laughs) everything that happens in your life is your fault period everything as an adult as an adult everything that happens to you is your fault you walk down the street and get hit by a car that's your fault you chose to walk down the street that day you you get raped you chose to stay alive we could kill ourselves at any time i'm glad we don't i don't think we should but we choose to stay alive and we choose to live in a world where there is dumb luck and chance and tragedy. But what's freeing about that is the fact that once you accept that everything's your fault, you can change. You can change anything and everything. You can work your butt off. You can learn. You can grow. And you can succeed in any path you want to go, whether that's financially or physically or mentally or spiritually. And I think that's such a lost message that if people will just accept that, everything will change so fast it'll it'll spin your head um and i've seen it in my own life where it's like even in the darkest moments when when i was about to go bankrupt and everything and i was really depressed i just put my head down and freaking worked my butt off (laughs) and a year later while i'm still while things might not still be back to where they i would like them to be like there's stability again and there's happiness again and there's all these things again and it's because i'm like okay i made a mistake now i'm gonna fix it i didn't blame anyone else and i used to do that a lot like everyone does, but every incredible person I met in my life takes responsibility for themselves. So that's why I'm like, well, I should give that a shot and it's worked. And that's the one thing that I think people need to get across because it's not taught anywhere now. Uh, agreed. It, it is very freeing. I love that. Mm-hmm. It is very freeing to realize so much. It, you have so much power. Yeah. It, it the, like the, one of the greatest gifts God gave us is the, is the power of choice. Yep. We, we have so much to choose. That's the pivotal that's huge. That was the first and the last. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's Satan's plan was to get rid of your freedom to choose. That is our current that is currently happening in politics right now. It's just destroying our country. That's it's just you have the freedom to choose. Never see that. And just recognize that and it's freeing for anything you want to do. Well, thank you so much for that message. I I uh I, I cut out this uh, uh, this little segment um, because it was like us taking a little break, but I want to throw throw this in here right now. Mm. Is as I was telling you before, I love this conversation because this is exactly like our conversations when we're sitting in a hot tub <laughs> for boys' night, right? Yeah, we're like we're hanging out, and then Rob's bored out of his mind. In <laughs> uh, but I always feel like I come away mm-hmm. with, with with the golden nuggets. I, I I mean, I really love. Uh, hearing your perspective and reinforcing 
at things in my own life, right? Mm-hmm. Where my eyes were open and I go, yeah, you know, that's true or, mm-hmm. or that, that's right. Um, I, I feel like I learned so much from you and, and I really appreciate you're willing to come on, you know, on my podcast <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, thanks for let me pick your brain. Uh, where can, if people, you know, if they want to be able to learn more about you or, or whatnot or support you, actually, that, that's even a bigger thing because you, you know, you and Mike, you know, you guys have a lot of, of different products and things that you sell. Is there anything, is there like maybe a Kickstarter product that's coming up? You'd say, um, check this out, go there. We're always doing random stuff. So, I mean, you can always, I mean, anyone can always email me at matt18alexander at protonmail.com. Um, we do a lot of mentoring just for a lot of people that are trying to start businesses or that need help with that. And just happy to do it, do it for free. We don't want anything from you. That's the important um, thing here is that you can, you're actually going to mentor them, meaning you will actually give them advice and not not the Utah version of paid mentoring. No. Yeah. It's like <laughs> if you have questions, I'll respond to you. Like obviously, I'm not going to run your business for you. No. But it's no, like, no. yeah, I'll hop on a phone call. You're with not you asking them for equity in their business to give them no, uh, I'm not, some advice. I'm actually successful in my own businesses. I don't yes. need yours. <laughs> like, and I'm not a scumbag. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Be, be, be wary of quote unquote mentors. Um, but yeah, we're always just launching random stuff. So it's like, obviously we like the support, but it's, I'm happy to help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Alex Spicer show. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe and then comment below what stood out the most to you in this episode. Um, what questions might you have for my guest, Matt, or for myself? And also, as I like to invite every time, share this with anyone, you know, could benefit from this. Uh, that could actually really learn something from this. Maybe you have that one relative of yours who needs to stop living in their parents' basement and they need to hear a message such as, everything's your fault, you know, now (laughs) empower yourself and move forward. Uh, Just don't forget to share this with other people. Uh, The comments and shares that you do really help us to to grow and to uh, actually help other people. I do this because, A, it's fun, but also B, I want to help other people through this podcast. Uh, Live free until next time.